This morning we continue our time here as we listen to Jesus preaching in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this morning we come to Matthew 6, and beginning in verse 1, we hear Jesus saying these words, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For I, then, look what he says, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I wonder as we come this morning, do you, do you have issues ever with practicing righteousness, doing good things to be seen by others? Like, I mean, do you think maybe today as we come to our text series, I talk about giving. Do you ever struggle like with just giving so that other people see or maybe praying so that other people hear you pray or maybe just even coming to church? You just do it so that other people will see you, right? And today we're talking about this, giving, how to do it so that God rewards you and not man. Like, how do we get God's reward? This is like preparing you for eternity. Like, how do I live my life in light of what is coming, in light of looking down the horizon? For example, maybe, again, if you struggle with giving or doing things to be seen by others, uh, maybe you think about this in the midst of coronavirus right now. Maybe you found yourself, uh, maybe it's, it's checking on a neighbor, making a phone call. Maybe it's you went and got groceries or you got medicine or maybe you took a meal or something like that. But behind it all, the reality is you were doing that so you could take a picture or do something. We could send something on social media so that everybody would know what you've done. And you might have hashtagged it all love or um, hashtag it maybe uh, no thanks needed. But deep down, you were doing it for the motive because you wanted other people to see and know what you had done. And I think that's the allure that Jesus is after here in this text. It begins in Matthew 6, and he's going to talk to us about praying and giving and fasting in, in the weeks to come, Lord willing. Um, but listen, I, I, I think the reason why this, this, I know this allure is so great is because I have a great struggle with it myself. Back during the week of Easter, um, I did a daily video of just kind of sharing like what happened in Jesus' life as we approached there of looking toward the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. And what I found in my heart really quick is, is that I was consumed by the numbers of views, likes, comments, or shares. And like I would think about it in the morning when I woke up, as I would go to bed at night, I was wondering, like, I wonder how many people watch the video today. And I finally had to tell my wife, Emily, I was like, listen, dude, this is like wrecking my soul. Like, I just need rescue from being in love with myself and like needing affirmation by people like you to view it, to like it, to comment, to share. Like that's where I'll finally find my worth. I, I was struggling with what Jesus says here. Be careful of practicing your righteousness to be seen by other people. And so today, maybe you're just there with me. You struggle with that in, in different ways, in different um, uh, areas of your life. And so I just want maybe today to, for all of us to hear that this is a threat. It's a threat to my soul to perform for others. And the truth is, likely for you is, you struggle with performing for others too. So today as we hear the Word of God and hear Christ, we're going to remind ourselves and see in the text that we all love to be seen. We love to be praised. We love to be admired. And we love to be thought of as spiritual or holy as Christians. And instead of allowing God to be the one who provides that affirmation and reward, we often desire the shallow of praise and affirmation of other people. But today Jesus is going to remind and show us that our, our obedience, it is often seen outward, 
but it should first come from a heart that is postured upward. Our obedience, listen, he's going to talk about giving and again, praying, fasting, deals with things that happen outwardly, but ultimately it should all flow from a heart that is inwardly postured upwardly first. That I want to do this for the glory of God and then however he sees fit to let my light shine, so be it to the glory of his name. Today we're going to hear Jesus sound the alarm on the true cost of hypocrisy. We'll see that Jesus says giving is expected and then we see how our hearts so often twist that. We're going to hear that there's actually a rescue or what might transform your giving. And then finally, just deal with some practical ways in how you or I should give. So let's begin realizing today, what is the true cost of your and my hypocrisy? It's there again in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness. The word beware indicates, like we might say in Kentucky, beware y'all. Like he says literally to all, everybody around, everybody, all of you. This isn't just like certain groups of people. All of us have to be aware. So beware y'all of practicing your righteousness. You might be, well, what is practicing your righteousness? Now, again, in the midst of Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see as he comes to verse 5, he's going to talk about praying and today dealing with giving. And, and if we fast forward further in the text there to verse 14, uh, he's going to be talking about, um, about our fasting. Uh, verse 16, sorry. And so he talks about giving, praying, fasting. Why? Because these are all outward things, right? I mean, so often we give, right? It's in public. We might pray in public. And listen, oftentimes our fasting Jesus is going to call, say, beware of doing these type of things. Again, those are not the only ways in which we practice righteousness. They're just three really tangible ones in which we all know and deal with. And so Jesus says, listen, I want to caution you. Look what he says again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's why. In order to, that's what the text says, be seen by them. That's the real danger. We do the right thing, but Jesus says we do it with the wrong motive. It's outwardly, it appears like we're, we've got it together, but inwardly, our real motive is, Jesus says, is in order to be seen. And look what, listen, you wonder, you're wondering, what's the danger with that, Blake? What's the big deal with that type of hypocrisy? And I want you to see it from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. That's what he says, for then you will have, listen when he says, no reward from who? Your Father, who's in heaven. He says you'll have no reward. Now listen, he doesn't say that you won't receive any reward. He's just saying the reward that he's going to talk about here in verse 2, the reward that you're going to receive, it's just going to be the applause of people. But the real reward, the one that I, listen, as a believer, you need to anchor your soul in is the reward that only God can bring. The reward that is true and eternal and perfect and righteous. That's the reward, beloved. I want to compel you today to that end, to leverage your life for that reward. But there's a real danger and hypocrisy. And you might be wondering, well, why would we have no reward from God if we're doing the right thing? And it's this. Correct actions with improper motives do not please God. Correct actions with improper heart motives do not please God. So maybe as we start this morning, we would just pause just for a moment. Maybe just like me, you find this text already wrecking you, realizing, exposing inner heart issues for you. We just pause and just pray. This is Brother Todd prayed earlier, man. I was like Psalm 51, like, amen. Let's just pray just for a moment.
Father, we need rescue. Just as our brother showed us in Psalm 51, O Lord, create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. God, please, we all are so given to perform and people, please. Lord God, let us see today the weight of it that we will miss out on your reward. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, change us. I pray it for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus begins here by warning us the danger or the true cost of hypocrisy. But now he's going to come and say that giving is expected. He, he speaks of it in verse 2, and, and then he's going to come back to it again in verse 3. He's going to keep re- this refrain, but when you give, when you give, like not if you give. Notice that again there in verse 2. It's when you give to the needy. right? And you might be here today and saying, well, why was that so important? Well, you have to understand the society in which they live. There was no social security. There's no welfare. So the people had no way in which to be provided for. If their families didn't do it, right, then they totally were dependent upon other people to give and to help them and to protect, protect and provide for them. And you may be asking, like, a, I think an important question. Well, if that's so important, then, well, how does this church, right? Maybe you're a member here. Maybe you're just checking it out, wondering, how does this church give to the needy? I want to maybe just share briefly just a couple things. One is is that uh, several years ago, listen, we just came to the point in which we were receiving so many phone calls and requests for needs, we were just overwhelmed. And one of our deacons, Wild Bill Dangerfield, he, man, God just moved his heart to come and be a part of stepping up to lead that benevolence. And now other faithful members of the church and, and other deacon leadership, others have, have risen up to help. And I just want you to know that, that weekend, even before this coronavirus, but even now, as you give, we're talking today about giving. When you give to this church, I want you to know that we are intentionally helping the needy. As you give, I think hopefully it encourages you. As you give to this church, you know, hey, listen, God used that to feed a hungry family this week. God used part of my offering this week to help people keep their rent and keep a shelter and a roof over their head. God used part of my offering this week by the power of his name to help people have running water so that they could cook, so they could drink, so they could bathe, so that they could praise the Lord, flush their toilets. God used this week the offering in which you gave, maybe in the midst of winter months, to keep the heat on for a family. So I want to encourage you as you give. Listen, we care about the needy here in Greensburg, KY. But not only that, I want you to know that we're passionate about the needy, and we realize that often the needy are children. And we have lots of children and youth that are hungry. And so God's just moved the hearts of people here that on Sunday and Wednesday nights as we hold service, we feed them. But guess what? There's no school and there's been no service. But I want you to know there's people as you give each week, you are helping members of this church who show up faithfully and they cook meals and they take warm meals to our kiddos right here in Greensburg, KY, Wednesdays and Sunday nights. That is an absolute honor and privilege. So I just wanted to maybe give you a glimpse that as you give, we are passionate here as a church of taking Jesus' example and words seriously. We care about the needy. But I might ask today, well, Blake, this says, thus when you give to the needy. It doesn't say when you give to the church. I mean, that's well and good, and, and I'm pumped about that. But, like, why should I even give to the church? And listen, I, I'm glad that maybe you wonder that or ask that. I think it's an important question we should ask in this text. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. 
Now concerning the collection of the saints. So he's talking about an offering they're taking up. Saints are Christians, right? So they're talking about giving for, to help out other Christians or believers. Notice what he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16. This, this is very instructive on our giving. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. Here's just some practical things when it comes to giving from this text. Notice first, he says it's on the first day. That's on Sunday, right? It's the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Notice again, so it's happening there. Notice further, he says on the first day of every week, right? This is a regular ongoing. So maybe you show up to a church and you wonder like, why are they always taking an offering? Because they're trying to follow the biblical example of what we have instituted by the New Testament. It was a regular practice of the church to take up an offering each week, a collection, right? So on the first day of every week, it's an ongoing, consistent practice. Notice what he says further, each of you. Listen, every person who's a believer is called to be a part of giving. Peter or Paul is expecting that here. Notice what he says further to them. Again, these are just some practical things. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as, notice what he says here, he may prosper. All can't give the same, but Paul says everyone should give. And notice it's in accordance with as he may prosper. Some, listen, in the church are going to prosper more financially than others. Guess what? There's a greater expectation that those that God's blessed with more finances would be able to give more. So it's a way in which God does this. Now, some of you, you're asking, well, well, Blake, how does this maybe relate to like the tithe in the Old Testament? And this call to give, and the word tithe indicates 10%. And well, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I think it's maybe instructive on that. Paul, again, speaking about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, says these words, beginning in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, the context here, again, is about giving. Notice it's each individual believer, and notice what he says to them. It is about what they have decided in their heart. It's, it's a decision in the heart. It's not, again, look what he says further there, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This is not because they feel guilty or not because now I have this law that I have to live up to like this certain amount. There is a sense in which we give freely. Listen to what he says. For, why is God after this? Why is there not just this set hard and fast rule of how much I should give? Paul says for, his why. God loves what a cheerful giver and he says a cheerful giver is not someone who's doing it reluctantly or because they've been guilted or shamed into it but listen believer the 10 percent is a great benchmark for you i want to encourage you but the midst of second corinthians 8 and 9 is this is un this theme that continues to run throughout it and it's just this theme of grace that we as people who have received forgiveness and the grace of God, that it would so move our hearts that we're not thinking like maybe 10%. Like it's just how much, God, how could I respond and give freely and willingly because of what you have done for me in Christ? It's a movement of the power of Jesus Christ. But listen, with that being said, we, we realize that we're in the midst of a challenging season, right? I mean, why, why preach on giving in the midst of so many people being laid off and, and challenges? Listen, I, again, my desire today is not to make you feel guilty or shamed into doing something. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver, and the Bible compels us that we should give as God's as we each one's decide in his heart. But it's been said about giving to the church, it's kind of like the mother-in-law at a wedding. She's the last in and the first out. 
So when it comes to hard times, maybe in your life, you, you start thinking, well, the church is the last thing we do. And if something comes hard, we just start chucking it out. Right. There's no like thought like we just got to get rid of that or cut back on the church. But we don't think that I need to probably cut back on Disney Plus and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Like it's just like I, I put all these things and then wherever the church fits, guess what? It's the first one out. So I want to challenge you and compel you. Why? Because in the midst of Second Corinthians eight, these, the Bible says the church of Macedonia, these Macedonian believers gave joyfully and above, he says, in the midst of extreme poverty. So I want to compel you. I don't know how God may lead you to give in the midst of this season. Again, I I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't know how God might do that, but I want to compel you to give and to realize that there is a call to give to be a part of the local church. So giving is expected. But what might make our giving of no real reward, right? And I think it's this, this type of topic or theme as Jesus comes to it. There's a real delusion in our hypocritical giving. It's really in our, in our hypocritical practices, but there's a delusion to it, specifically as it relates to giving. Look what he begins with, verse 2 of Matthew 6. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. The scholars are divided on exactly what is Jesus referring to when he says, sound no trumpets, because we notice the hypocrites are doing it. It's taking place in synagogues and in the streets. Right. There's some division over exactly. Is he referring back to the fact that there was these these offering receptacles and as people put them in. Right. Maybe they were trumpet shaped to keep people from being able to steal money out of them. But the clanging of those, um, we're, we're not sure. Others say that it, it maybe relates to the fact that they blew trumpets to prepare for a fast and the giving to the poor ensured maybe that your prayers were actually like effective were working. And so as you heard these trumpets being blown, it was announcing a fast. And so you would just give to say how serious you are. But notice whatever the actual practice is, the bigger issue here is the heart. Notice what he says again. Sound no trumpets before you as who? The hypocrites. Hypocrites in the Greek culture were actors, right? They were people that might show up on stage and put a face mask over their face and pretend to be someone they're not. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You're tooting your own horn, so to speak, right? We have that adage in our culture. That's exactly what they're doing. They're wanting everyone to thank, man, how spiritual and godly they must be. But the reality is, Jesus says, that's not the way my believers should give. Why? Why are they doing this? Why are they after? Look what he says here. Jesus, again, he's always drilling down to the heart. He always sees the truth. Look what he says here. That they may be, that's what he says, praised by others. Jesus doesn't say here that we shouldn't give or we shouldn't pray or shouldn't fast in the midst of Matthew 6. The issue is always what is going on in our hearts. Why are we doing what we're doing? And the reality is these people are giving for their reputation. They're like us, aren't they? I mean, they love for everyone to take notice of them. Right? We want to prove that we're lovable or we're worthy of admiration or maybe we want people to emulate and follow our example. I mean, to maybe put it in our culture vernacular, we, we want followers, likes, and views. And here's the danger with all of this. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, they, these hypocrites, have, have received their reward. Self-promotion always leads to demotion in God's presence. 
our self-promotion will always lead to demotion in God's presence. Or, as the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Feel the temporariness, though, of this, of this statement? Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. It's, it's past, like it's, it's come. Like the fact is, people think you're spiritual, or they think you're such a good person, or you're so kind, or you're so generous. Right, But the reality is, listen, there's a shallowness to all of that, isn't there? I mean, like the temporary applause, people's applause will end, and now they're going to wait to, when are you going to hand out next? What are you going to do this time? How are you going to top it again? And the reality is, listen, if you build your self-image on that, it will always be fragile. Why? Because it will likely lead you or me to either being anxious or feeling self-righteous. We'll feel anxious in the moments when people criticize us or maybe don't acknowledge what we've done. And so we start to wonder, right? I mean, you feel like worthless and maybe you don't matter because nobody's acknowledged what you've done to help or do this. Or, But then on the flip side, when people do acknowledge it, if we build our identity on what we can do, we start to puff up our chest and feel self-righteous like, well, of course, right? And, and look at me and now I know how important my life really is because of what people say or how many people like or follow my, me on whatever it is. And that's, listen, that's why this season for so many of us in the midst of this virus, it's really telling. It's a great opportunity to display your heart. Why? Because now when it comes to giving, there's nobody in the pew next to you to see what you do put in the plate. There's not people sitting in your Sunday school class to watch if you are giving. And so the reality is this season is a unique season for all of us to say, listen, have you just stopped giving? And maybe, maybe, if you drill down in that, maybe it's because you and I deeply long for the praise of other people and we want, we want their reward. humbling moment but I, I want you to know today there's if that's you and, and maybe you struggles like me there's rescue there's rescue from being after the applause trying to win the approval of mom or dad or that person at church or that teacher or that coach or that significant other like that just never-ending carrot that you keep chasing and it's just this one word that jesus uses throughout matthew 6 he uses it in verse 1, verse 4, verse 6. He uses it in verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, or verse 18, verse 26, and verse 32. A total of 12 times. Some verses get it twice. He had a total of 12 times in Matthew 6, Jesus uses one single word, and it's this. Father. Father. Your Father. Our Father. Your father, 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 father. And why? Because that, beloved, listen, our hearts and our giving are only going to be rescued by our father. It's the only hope to deliver you and I from living for the applause of men. It is the one rescue for our souls that there behind, listen, is a loving father. Listen what Jesus says. But when you, verse 3 of Matthew 6, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father, notice that. He's used it already in verse 1. Now he comes again to it in verse 4. And your Father who sees, notice what he sees. Sees in secret will reward you. Listen, guys, behind our giving, behind practicing righteousness and living a godly life is a Father who rewards and sees. But here's the challenge to it. Not only does God see in secret, which 
listen, probably causes all of us to want to shrink back because he sees who we are truly in secret. There's no hiding, no fooling, no bluffing him. But the challenge also is, is that he's in secret. Like you just don't see him. And people are like, well, where is your God? And so the challenge is this all requires faith. Faith that God actually is living, that there is a living and true God, that He's actually a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith that outward righteousness and appearing godly will actually never rescue you. Why? Because, listen, guys, the Creator God of heaven and earth, He is perfect and holy. Our sin, it incurs His, his wrath and His judgment, and, and the just, He's just to repay us for what we deserve. But I want you to know that this God is also a merciful and gracious God. He's, as we sing sometimes, He's a good, good Father. How good? So good that the Bible says that for God, God the Father, so loved the world, so loved you, that He sent His only begotten Son, that if you would believe on Him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is rescue from the desire to always try to be good and sufficient enough in and of yourself. Beloved, it will never do. I want to remind you, your good works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags anyway. And here's the truth. No matter how much good you do, it can't take away all the bad. But there is a rescue. There is a remedy. And it is the loving Father who sent His Son for you and I in the midst of our sin, even while we were enemies. There is hope. There is rescue. And it's in this word that gets repeated 12 times in Matthew. And it's Father. It's a good, good Father who loves you and me. Listen, man, He changed somebody like me. He can transform you. You hear it even now. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it perfectly together. Like, listen, I want you to know that Christ dies for you and I in the midst of our sin. It is the love of the Father. It is the grace and mercy of God that will set a man or woman, boy or girl free to give and to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's the hope of this gospel. Listen, listen how this transformation changes and transforms the church, specifically how they give. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 4. Again, it's about the church of Macedonia. He says, again, they're, they're folks that Paul defines as extremely in extreme poverty. He says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So again, the context is of giving. And this, look what it says, not as we expected but they gave themselves. Look what it says here. First. What did they give themselves first to? To the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. It's just an unbelievable, beautiful moment. The transformation in their giving. How these people, how could they give in the midst of extreme poverty? Is they gave themselves first to the Lord, right? It was a first upward heart posture. And now it was like, God, how could you use me? God, how could I give to love on the needy and the poor and other saints that need help? God, how could you best use me? While we first give ourselves to the Lord and then we are rightly ready to give to others. Guys, listen, this is from people who are giving not to be accepted. They are giving because they were first accepted. You see the difference? As believers, we're not giving so that we can be accepted. 
We are giving because we are accepted perfectly in Christ. It is grace. It is forgiveness that moves the heart. So, beloved, I compel you, stop trying to give well enough to satisfy God. It is only the death of Jesus Christ in your place that will satisfy Him perfectly. So, again, we return back to this call to give as we see that the Father is transforming the followers of Christ. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Paul or Jesus is saying, maybe in our adage, we might say, don't congratulate yourself, right? Don't, don't, don't congratulate yourself. But I want you to know that for a long time, I took this verse literally. So I would, on Sunday mornings, the offering would come, I'd open up my wallet, right? And I would be like, huh, like just take it knowing and I would throw it in there, right? Because I didn't want my right hand to know what my left hand was doing. Listen, I... It wasn't until I came to this text and someone taught and helped showed me that I realized that like that didn't even make sense. Why? Because it violates text just like 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2 that says that we are to set aside a certain amount according to our income. Well, how do we do that if we don't know what amount we're giving? Also, as we saw there in 2 Corinthians 9, that each one should give as his own heart as he desires, as, as the Lord is working with him. Well, again, that's not just like a random giving. So Jesus isn't saying that we should just take, like I was guilty of doing, take your money and just throw it in there and not think about it. He's saying, listen, guys, I want your giving to not be about you, to not be about your glory or self-promotion. Guys, I don't know about you, but we got to fight this with great tenacity. We may think you may think of yourself as more spiritual in this church or in another church because of how much you give and how little that person around you gives. You see their offering or you, you count the money and you just think, well, those folks, what's wrong with them? Right. I mean, we can think of ourselves as greater and others less because maybe it's not, only not that they don't give their finances. But maybe it's somebody that doesn't give their time like you do. And so you can just begin to let yourself be puffed up. But this text, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's saying, don't congratulate yourself in humility. As Paul says, consider others more important than yourself. Philippians 2. So guys, listen, I don't know about you, but I have moments when I see this type of heart in me that I I just have to cry out, God, rescue me. I mean, if I can just be really transparent, there's been moments in my life where I've written checks and I've thought, hey, I wonder what so-and-so will think when they're counting money today and they see how much I gave. That's just truth. And so if you need rescue like I need rescue, I'm telling you there is hope and there is a good Father who changes hearts, who forgives and who redeems and, and transforms motives of hearts. He is, he is just a transforming God. Listen, the world is going to ask you, what did you give? But the Father, He's going to ask, how did you give? The world wants to know how much, right? Like, what did you give? the father listen guys like jesus tells that widow he's he's not so searching the amount he's looking at the heart how did you give what's behind that listen to what jesus says here's why you would give like that with that type of humility notice it's verse four here so that it's so that your giving may be in secret it's right it's a desire to do so in secret not to for your own glory it's as Charles Spurgeon once said about giving. He said, let God be present and you will always have enough of an audience. If you let God be present in the midst of your giving, you're always going to have the greatest, most important audience you could ever hope for. 
For those of you who only give it's publicly or knowledge, or maybe if your name gets put over the door or gets posted somewhere, I think you and I have to take these words seriously. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret knows what He will do. He will reward you. And I have to ask here, well, like when, where, how? Jesus doesn't tell us. But John brought us who in 1888 become the second, became the second president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He says it about this text, about this statement of will reward you. He says it relates likely to both time and in eternity, both in our character and in our joy. What a gift, guys, to think how God might bless us here and now. But can you imagine on that day standing before the King of glory and hearing him say, well done, hearing him say, I saw you sacrificing. I saw how you gave to the needy. I saw your love for the poor. I saw your sacrificial giving to the church. I know it was in secret and maybe nobody else publicized it. You didn't get your name on the wall. You didn't get your name listed. Beloved, let's fix our eyes there. Let's posture our hearts upward and let God do whatever blessing He wants to do in the midst of this time and now. Maybe just a couple practical things in closing. One is in light of the Father. I think we have to give in light of the Father's great mission. I'm, I'm excited and pumped that we are a part of a Southern Baptist church, that we, along with other Southern Baptist churches, we all take up an offering each week. I don't know if you knew it or not, but we give a percentage, a certain amount of each dollar we give specifically, send it on to take the gospel to the international, right, to international missions, to spread the gospel throughout the nations, help here, here in the state of Kentucky, right? But also in the midst of Annie Armstrong, as we take up this offering now, we are giving specifically to help take the gospel to this nation. I don't know if you know it or not, but America is one of the most lost, darkest spiritual continents on the face of the earth. It's one of the most lost nations on the face of the earth. And as you give, I want you to know that we are giving. It ought to encourage you. Each week, as you put in money, you are saying, listen, God, by your grace and your great power, you are using the little I gave to help support that missionary. You are giving to help build up and establish or plant a local church. You are strengthening other, God, to raise up other spiritual leaders as a part of taking the gospel. So I want to remind you again, as we give and our Father is there, that we are a part of a great mission, our Father's great mission. I think a practical question maybe from this is, should I give first to the church or should maybe I give to other missions or ministries and support the needy in that way? And I think the Bible shows us in Acts chapter 2 and 4 that those folks, the, the, the believers there, came giving their money not to a specific project they were really passionate about instead they came and set the money before the officers of the church those the church had recognized to take up that money and to use it it was actually through the church that god was accomplishing his mission so i want to compel you as you consider giving i think biblically for believers the church must have first place when it comes to giving maybe you have other questions and i've got all kinds here i know time is is tight and, and it's a different setting and so maybe i would just leave with this challenge some of you have heard your story. Your story is one in which maybe in the midst of really hard seasons you gave when you and your family didn't have it. But you just gave and God blessed and he just began to establish that as part of your DNA. Maybe it's for you as an individual. Just God's been using you. I want to challenge you 
I don't know how God might lead it. It may be that you share it on social media. I don't know. Again, I know the context here, and we all want to beware of doing anything, right, to, to, to puff ourselves up. But I think it's important for you to share your story. And so maybe it's with somebody else in a Sunday school class or someone else in the church, or maybe it's a friend, or God may lead you again to put it out there. But I want to compel you to share a story, not about how good you are, but about how faithful God was to you in the midst of your giving. Let's bring glory to God. Let's share this good news and this gospel and it's this hope that there is a good father who came and sent his son to rescue sinners today if you will repent and believe you will be saved for it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved it's with your heart that you believe and are justified today would you call out to the only name acts 4 and 12 says there is only one name given under heaven by which all people must be saved it is the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this text. What a beautiful opportunity we have as believers to give. It is not a burden, Father. I pray that it is our greatest joy. I pray that we are 2 Corinthians 9 believers who give joyfully, cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Lord, I pray that you would guard us today. God, guard my heart from wanting to perform and to practice righteousness, to be seen and approved and applauded by others. Rescue me, redeem me, God. And I pray for any other person in this church, others believers, those who are listening, God, I pray that you would rescue them too, God, that we would find our true identity and not what we can give, but in what you gave for us. Let us rest there on the name of Jesus Christ, the solid rock, on which I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.